Well, I, where are you right now? What's behind you? That's my Ducati, and that's my yep. 1965 Tiger. Um, and then there's my coffee machine. And a machine. coffee machine. Kind of accumulated, and I'm ultimately going to trade. Like, I didn't buy them to kind of have them. I'm not really a man of luxuries, but they kind of came into my life, and I'm going to move them around and try and swap them up for more interesting, exciting things. <laughs> so, yeah. That's what I've got. Fair enough. What do, you, what do, you, do you collect anything? Do you kind of like outside of BJJ, is there anything that you kind of have a hobby of? When I was a kid, I used to play basketball quite a bit. And um, despite being really small, <laughs> um, yeah. but I grew up in the country, so me and my friends were into basketball a bit. And I used to be a little bit of a nerd too. So we played a, a, um, a really nerdy card game called Magic the Gathering, which is still a thing these days, but it's super nerdy, man. Like super nerdy, but teaches you strategy. Uh, but no, man, since, um, since jujitsu, I, like I played drums all the way through high school and I tried to get back into that. Um, and I realized I just, like, I don't know if you've had the experience of doing something that you, that you've done for a while, but, but you know, it's, it's kind of faded away for a little bit and you pick it back up and you'll pick some, the basic skills back up pretty quickly, but then you'll get to a point where in order to get better, you actually have to put in some work. Yeah. And I was like, I don't want to spend that work on this. I want to spend it on jiu-jitsu. So, yeah, it was one of those things where, uh, but it was a good experience to have because otherwise it would have just been that thing in the back of my head going, I should probably start playing some music again, this, that, and the other. And now I realize actually, for the most part, I just want to listen to it. I just want to enjoy it. Um, I don't want to turn it into something that I have to do. Um, I don't want to be kind of walking around the house and looking at at the drum kit and going, I should probably play that more often. Yeah. So, what, what about for your for your child's sake? Though, are you like? I mean, I, I definitely know that. I mean, I used to be a gamer, like a video gamer, growing up. I used to work school, play video games, all that sort of stuff. And then yeah, I played video I games too. Playing video games, and he started destroying me by the time he was eight, and I so I just stopped. You know? Yeah. Because I realized there's no way I can kind of spread that gap. I might as well stay focused on whatever I'm enjoying. And but you know, well, for the music perspective, are you get. I was playing video games as well, man. It's um. And the stuff that I was into was, is hard. So like Dark Souls, which is a hundred hours of like really hard grinding, no save points, you die, you're back to the start. And it was great. But I realized that you have this sense of achievement. You have, it's kind of like life, right? Where it's grind, 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 grind. Most of it's frustrating. Want to throw the TV out the window. And then you have these little moments that are like these little, little victories, these little moments that spur you on. Um, yeah. but I had this, this moment where I'm like, hang on, I'm spending money. I'm spending a, a lot of time. I'm spending most of that time just being frustrated and angry. And it's in a world that doesn't exist. This thing's not real. It doesn't make any sense to be doing this. Yeah. And I was like, all right, cool. And then that moment I just stopped. I'm like, I'm not doing this anymore. This doesn't make any sense. Um, yeah. I can appreciate really good video games and I can appreciate how, how enjoyable and how immersive they can be. Um, but as you know, when you've got kids, you realize very, very quickly how, uh, what things are important and what things are not, how many things you have in your life that are just, that are just time fillers or time waste. Um, and a lot of those things just got stripped away. So, um, and I I quit playing video games probably over 10 years ago. Yeah. Well, but I did love teaching Mac of video games. Like I loved when he surpassed me. And I love teaching yeah. Luca as well. Like they were kind of into different things, but they, were, you know, I love the 
Ian Mercer. Hey, Kim, Hi, Kim. how are you going? Hey. Sorry, guys. That's no, all right. Parenting, parenting. We've kind of hooked in anyway. We've kind of, I, I think we're going to use a lot of this because it's so much rolling start. I think, though, to your point, Anton, that, that with music, though, um, for sure, like Kat's, Kat's musical. Um, she's, not, she's not specifically trained, but she um, you know, can play a little bit of ukulele and some other things, and, and we have music playing a lot of the time in the house. Um, and uh, yeah, we were always dancing and playing around with our daughter. And I think that's one of the things that we, that one of the, probably the best things that you can pass on, whether or not you can do it yourself or just making sure that music is part of their life, I think is, is, uh, is important for kids. Cause there's something very, um, very profound. That's hard to put your finger on it when it comes to music and what it can do for us. Um, Fair we've noticed that different musics, uh, different musical genres have a different impact on it, which is not surprising. Um, because my daughter's yeah. only 10 months old. Um, she's got a little playlist that we play every time we put her to sleep. Oh, your audio just went, I think. I know you're back. You're back. For fatherhood, how important is BJJ, you know, in that kind of capacity for you? Is that something which is on your radar? Are you going to be really strict if like, it has to happen or you don't really mind? Or? No, not at all. No, not at all. Um, the, the most important thing to me for anyone who's doing jiu-jitsu um, and I'll make the, the caveat that, uh, if you're a high level competitor, this is, is, we can take a backseat a little bit, but the most important thing is that, that people enjoy it and they, they want to be there. Uh, and I'm sure that, that Ava is going to spend a lot of time in the gym and she's already a little tornado. She's already like just nonstop. Uh, and because we're training in the gym, um, she's around it all the time. She wants to be on the mat. She's exposed all the time, but we'll let her find it in her own way. The only, the only requirement that, that I have for, for Ava is that she knows how to defend herself. Yeah. Um, I just want her to be safe. But beyond that, anything she wants to do is up to her. If she wants to train a little bit for some fun, if she wants to compete, if she doesn't want to do any of that at all until she's, you know, 20 years old, that's fine. Um, yeah. But I, I definitely don't want to force her into it just because it's our thing doesn't mean it needs to be her thing. But just yeah. the way she is around the gym and the mat and stuff and, and her temperament, I'm pretty sure that she's going to end up. She's just a wrecking ball, man. She just. <laughs> That's awesome. How old is she now? Yeah. She's 10 months and she's very, very physical yeah, and she's got crazy ball. amounts of energy and she's nonstop. <laughs> yeah. It's rad. It's an amazing thing. I mean, you guys all know. You, you've awesome. Both got yeah. kids. 10 months is great. I feel like it's where you start to feel like the dividends start to pay off a little bit, you know, the yeah. early months, especially they're just thankless. It's just nonstop yeah. and you don't even, sometimes you don't even get eye contact. You don't get a whole lot. So yeah, it's good when you get uh, a little bit more interaction and, and they become little people. I agree. Cool. I was having a chat with somebody who I haven't spoken to in, in quite a while. And, and um, that that's something I know who's, who's got a, a three year old and an 18 month old who I know as well, who I also haven't seen in a long time. I'm like, Oh, they love it it and they're like um, uh, um i'm like well i say that where every parent knows that it is the most brutal thing that you can ever do <laughs> it is it is incredibly uh taxing and, and yeah you know it's yeah it, it's it's amazing though it is amazing um yeah, yeah. but the, the the process of jiu-jitsu um and having taught jiu-jitsu for a long time has has made things the experience of being a father and, and the learning process of her with her and, and uh, seeing how she's interacting and picking things up is, has actually helped. 
Um, okay. And having taught kids as well. And, and obviously she's at it. She's at an age where she's really young and developmentally things are a little bit different. Um, and she's a wrecking ball. Yeah, dude, she is. She is such a wrecking ball. Um, it's, very, it's very interesting to see how much of their temperament is already there. Um, that nature versus nurture thing. There's already a lot going on. And I feel like we can, unless you, unless you totally destroy their, their character or their temperament by just shutting them down completely, which is a, which is a heartbreaking thing to think of doing. All you can really do is just nudge it a little bit left and right. Yeah, absolutely. And what I found, I like to imagine my kids or parenting my kids as like catching a really big fish. And it's like, sometimes you got to reel that line in and sometimes you just got to let that line run and then reel it back in a bit. The line's going to snap. I think that's a really good metaphor for it. Um, You, part of it is being really careful about um, paying attention to what their temperament is and working with it's, it's, uh, yeah, like I said, you, you can nudge it a little bit, trying to corral the sheep, you know, like just, just keeping them inside the bumpers a little bit. Um, but no, it's rad, man. I love it. It's definitely, you know, it's that, the, the whole cliche of, of, uh, you know, you're not sleeping as much. And, um, the other thing that's, that's interesting about it because everybody knows that when you're having a kid, they go, all right, you're not going to sleep for a while. Um, but it's the relentlessness of the day. It, it is nonstop. You do not have any windows at all to just yeah. stop and catch a breath. Um, yeah. And I find that's probably the, the more challenging thing to adjust to then because you, you kind of adjust to the sleep. Um, like it, it, I'm stunned at what, what Ava's mum can do. Um, like cats, it's mind boggling how much sleep, how little sleep she can function on. Um, <laughs> And I look at what she's doing and just like, I, I don't know that, that I would have the capacity to keep functioning the way that she does. Um, but it's the, it's the combination of that with the relentlessness of the day, which is like nonstop, 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 nonstop. And then before you know it, you're like, oh, it's dinner and bedtime routine again. Yes. Um, and then you're like, I got to fit in some work. Well, like it's 10 PM. I guess this is now when I do it. So, but it's amazing though, man. It's amazing. And one of the, to kind of, I guess for people that are going to be listening to this because they're probably bored of their skulls. Yeah. These guys are talking about kids. I thought this was meant to be a very um, jiu-jitsu podcast. What's yeah. going on? But to put it, <laughs> to, well, no, to, to put a bit of a jiu-jitsu spin. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, I know. I really get it. And I think, but I do want to ask you some questions about BJJ and just checking the time as well. Uh, yeah. 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 Heaps of time. Yeah. So, well, to, to segue a little bit, so I'm going to help you out a bit here. The, you, I've had a gym for a long time, as you guys know, and, and one of the things that I've always used as a guidepost for making decisions is, will this make the space better for me to leave my kid in or not? Um, and that's made it really, really easy to decide whether something is good or bad for the space. If I couldn't leave my kid, and that's you know, for many, many years, my imaginary future child, yeah. in this space for five minutes without me being there, would I feel comfortable with them being there or not? Uh, and there's a really, really easy way to figure out whether or not the culture of the space is, is going in the right direction. Um, and, you know, like I, I always, because we're on the mat as coach, like you're a gym owner, you're a coach, you're on the mat. So the people that you're bringing into your business who, who are paying your bills are also your students, your teammates. The, the people that you spend most of your time with, you don't want to be surrounded by assholes. Um, yeah. So, uh, and I definitely don't want my, my children to be surrounded by that either. So, that was, I've always had that as a, as a bit of a guidepost for me for making decisions. Uh, and it's an important one too, because it, money is not the first decision uh, yeah. or the first marker. It's, it's 
yeah, it's definitely not the top. Well, um, been, as Lincoln been, I always like to say, culture is king, man. And uh, you, uh, that's where everything starts for us. There's no doubt. I mean, we've had so many dominance people on this show now. It's crazy. Yeah, we have. <laughs> you guys are all over the place. You know, you're everywhere. Um, you've got great, you've had this great culture, really nice people, as you say. Like, I would put my own, my own kids have trained there. Um, yeah. I really love your gym and what you guys do. Would you Thank say you. that Dave Hart, when, because you, you created dominance, right? Out of nothing. Like, yeah. it was something, and the, when it started, and when, the, what the BJJ scene was like and how you got into it, like, I'd love to know a bit about that, because you, you're mm. like the grandfather of, even though you're young, you're like the grandfather of, PJJ in Melbourne, let's say, you know, there's a, you know, there was a, obviously you've been around yeah. since very early days, right? So yeah, really early days. So I, I started, uh, in 97, um, which is, that's a, it's a long time ago. And I started when I was 18, 19 years old when I first started, which back in, in the day when I started was actually quite young. Um, mm-hmm. most people were discovering jujitsu because they were already martial artists and doing other things. And they heard about it through the grapevine through martial arts it wasn't the kind of thing that people were just going oh man I, like i want to just go to jiu-jitsu which is which we get now right everyone knows what jiu-jitsu is if they're not doing it they've heard of it they know it's an awesome thing supposedly to do for all these reasons and um and so the, the, a lot of the time the first martial art that people want to do is, is jiu-jitsu but back then it wasn't the case um so yeah it was uh i've been training for uh about four years or so um and uh the the scene yeah it was really different one of the things that happened that we noticed when we very first started the gym um which was in uh 2002 I'll just check my hoodie for my for the reference of when we started yeah. the gym um, <laughs> it's that long ago uh again people walk into the gym and we were having to educate them on what jiu-jitsu was Right, and that that changed over the years, bit by bit, to the point where everybody knew what jiu-jitsu was, and largely because of the UFC and MMA. Um, but when we first started, we were actually having to educate people on jiu-jitsu. Um, you know, you'd say Brazilian jiu-jitsu, I'm like that's that's that dancing thing, right? And like, no, um, yeah, that was it every time. But uh, yeah, like one of the, I think I'm fortunate that really early on, I I realized what I wanted to do. Um, yeah. Martial arts when I was a kid in high school, uh, again, country town, so it was pretty limited. It was Taekwondo. Uh, and a lot of people who are into Jiu Jitsu um, can be a little bit uh, a little bit negative towards some of the traditional martial arts, but I think they're great. I think it's much better to be doing a traditional martial art than not training at all because it's one step closer to doing something that's really functional as a, as a combative art. And yeah. for some people as well, it's more important to them to be engaged in the tradition of martial arts than it being a functional thing. And in that case, a traditional martial art might be the first and last stop for them and it might do everything it needs to do. Um, But I was looking for something that was, was going to be really functional for fighting. Uh, Not because I wanted to get on the street and start fights, but because I wanted to actually feel safe. Um, Mm. And uh, when I moved to to Melbourne, uh, I ended up finding, ended up finding jiu-jitsu. We had, my first boss who I became friends with, who was into martial arts as well. Um, a friend of his sent him a, a VHS tape that had UFC one on it. We watched that and Hoist Gracie's yeah. choking at everybody. And we're like, Oh my God. And then we, we went on the hunt for a, um, for a gym. And it turned out to be just around the corner from his house. And that was John Will. Um, yeah. So yeah, the first ever class I did um, was with John and he's been my coach ever since that day, uh, which is, which is fortunate. But uh, after some time, um, 
I realized, man, this is what I want to do. Like I, I, I want to be spending my days doing jujitsu and, and um, I was in love with it. I was already training twice a day, every day. And, and that was back in the day when no one was doing that as well. Cause I was a very, very slow learner. And I think that's one of the things um, that has allowed me to become a good coach is personally, I'm an incredibly slow learner. Uh, and it took me a really, really long time to get my head around uh, how jiu-jitsu works. And just about every struggle that's, that someone can have on the mat with learning a technique, I've, I've run into myself. So I've, I'm usually pretty good at, at being able to communicate ideas to people. Uh, and if someone really sucks and has a real, real hard time with it, I, I tend to be fairly patient because... I, I still have very distinct memories of being that person, even though it was 20 odd years that ago. Just, that's profound. Cause what I'm hearing is like your gym and part of the culture of it is that it's not just for the champions. It's for everybody. It it's even geared towards like the founder of that gym really gets that not everybody is going to be a superstar or be, or be a really great learner. You know, that's, that's, that's huge. Yeah. And it, I think that is really important. If, if you see this, more with Muay Thai gyms than with uh, Jiu-Jitsu, but if it's just a fight gym, you got 20 guys who are killers and that's it. You know, like it, it, the team's really, really small because most people can't hang with it. That being said, when I first started teaching, um, and I was a purple back then, and, and there, was, there were not many other senior belts uh, around. So it was myself, Big Dave and Cam Rowe that started um, Dominance back in 2002. Um, Big Dave was a brown belt um, and I was a purple belt and Cam was a purple belt. Um, but we were young, you know, early twenties and we were just, you know, just, I mean the name, <laughs> it's like, we were just like, we're just going to take over. Um, and I think the name is, is very representative of, of who we were in our early twenties and just wanting to just smash it, just go out there. And, and we wanted to train really hard. We had a really strong training ethic. My warmups were super tough, but I would, I would do them with everybody. Uh, and over time people, more and more people were, conveniently rocking up late to my classes. <laughs> like everyone all of a sudden had these excuses why they were there 15 minutes late because the warmups were just too hard. <laughs> and uh, eventually I was like, hang on. It's, it doesn't make sense to be running these warm up if, if only five people are actually doing them, myself included, and everyone else is skipping them because they're too hard. Um, it's, it's not benefiting the group enough. Uh, and so I learned really, really early on that there's got to be a balance. Um, you can't have the room cater just to the top few guys because those guys are going to get good anyway. The, the best guys in the room will get good anyway. And you see that because there's gyms where the, where the, the structure is, is uh, well, there might not be very much structure at all. Um, and the good guys will always rise to the top. The problem with that kind of situation where there's not much structure uh, in the way that a gym is set up uh, and there's, there's, there's not a, a way of giving information um, across the people who aren't necessarily naturals is that the only the good guys get good and everybody else kind of gets left behind. But if you've got a really good structure that, that allows the average person to become really good, then the good people are going to be better mm. and the average people are going to be good. And then the, the, the people who are really good have more training partners. So yeah. by catering to, to the average person, you actually increase the entire level of the room mm. um, and the better guys get even better again. So you, it ends up being a positive feedback loop. But if the room only caters to the good guys, you'll have, you have a small handful of really good guys, but you'll miss out on so much talent that they just needed help through that first ceiling that you're running to. I really think that that's, that's actually really applicable in not just BJJ, but like business, for example, as well. 
look yeah. after the people who are average or even a little bit below average and help them lift the whole game for everybody. So yeah. You still want you, you still want your talent for sure. Like you, you want to have talent in your room. There's no doubt about that because those guys help drag the level up as well. So if you've got someone in your room who is just a, a half guard monster, uh, he's one of the best half guard guys, you know, in Melbourne, then all the guys in your gym are going to get really, really good at countering half guard. And when they run into anyone in competition uh, that's got a half guard, it's going to feel pretty easy to deal with. So you still want your talent for sure. Um, I've, I've competed a lot and I've done, I've done fairly well, uh, but I'm by no means a natural talent. I've had to work incredibly hard to, to get good. Um, and like to put that in context, it took me over three years to get my blue belt. That was back in a time when most people were training three days a week. They'd train three times a week. Yeah. I was doing doubles six days a week. Got it. Yeah. I was training four times as much as everybody else. And it still took me over three years to get a blue belt. Wow. So if I... If, a really big blue belt by the time you were a blue belt, the way I imagine. I was, I was solid. I was solid. But it just took me a really long time to get enough of the fundamentals for it to all click. Like you have to get a, to a critical mass of knowledge. And that's going to be different for different people. Like some people will come in, they've got a, an athletic background um, and can pick things up really quickly. Um, one of the a really common thing I've seen... Um, is particularly for uh, women in jiu-jitsu is they come from gymnastics. Not all, but um, the, the, many of the, the high-level competitors seem to have some gymnastics in their background or some other sporting um, background, and that allows them to pick up the movement patterns a bit quicker. They're more in tune with their body, all that sort of stuff. Um, it just, but some, one way or another, you've got to get that, that critical mass. You've got to learn the, the, the mechanics, um, the movement patterns, the coordination. So you, you run into it when you're teaching uh, and, and Kim, I'm sure you've had this experience as well, where you've gone, all right, I want your right shoulder towards your left knee. And they're like, and I just can't. So you, you have to teach someone how to move their body first. Yeah. And then you get to teach them jujitsu. Yeah. Um, and sometimes later on top of that, you have somebody who's actually carrying an extra 20 kilos and you've got to like through the process of jujitsu and training, they'll bring the weight down. They're learning how to move their body. And like that adds another, a layer of time. Like, getting them to be able to function and move well. But then you get some people who just come in, gymnasts or whatever it might be, and you go right shoulder, left knee, and they, boom, they just do everything straight away. They're connected to their body already. Um, so, yeah, the process can be a lot faster for some people than others. But I think sooner or later, some people hit the ceiling where it becomes hard work. They've got to really struggle through it. Um, and some people, it's really early, like for me, because I just wasn't a fast learner. Um, but the thing that, that made it, the, the advantage of that was it's made me a really good coach. It's made me really um, patient in, in learning and having to figure things out, pull them apart, understand the mechanics of it. Um, mm. But uh, it's also made me pretty comfortable with things being tough because I got, I got beat up for the first three years a lot. Um, mm. I was just just I was on that, um, Dave, do you have any advice for people that might be listening that are feeling like they're hitting that ceiling and how they can kind of push through it? Um, because yeah, I feel like that's a pretty common theme in jujitsu. Mm -hmm. And I mean, mm -hmm. some people might experience it even more. So when we come back after this quarantine, they might feel like, yeah. Oh, this is all too hard for me. I'm not as good as I used to be. Like, have you got any advice for people that feel like they're, they do. Yeah. 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 Uh, and the first thing I would say is anytime you run into that feeling on the mat, that's why you should be there. 
think that's the most important thing that, that you can understand about that experience that we encounter. Because even when you're, even when you've been training 20 something years and you're a black belt and you're the guy teaching, um, it might look like to the students that, that all the roles are easy, but there's not, there's little, there's little things that, that we're struggling with all the time on the mat. There's still, man, I still get caught and I should, if I'm doing my job well as a coach and if I'm doing my job well as a student, I should be, I should be making my students good enough. But when I try to find spaces that I'm, that I'm playing around with and I'm not amazing at, I should get caught. Now, it, it's really important though that, that we recognize that there's a peak and a trough with, with training. We have, we have times on the mat where we feel just unbelievable. You just come in and you're just like, man, I'm untouchable today. Um, you know, that, that flow. Uh, there's a couple of really good books, one in particular, on actually getting into that flow state that's worth checking out for people that are, I'm trying to think of the, the name of the author, but it's... Um, maybe it's, it's, maybe send them to me later, Dave, and I'll post them as a link on the... Yeah, I will. I will. But so there's times when we're on the mat where we just, where we feel just unbeatable. And then there's times when we're on, on the mat and they can be one day after another. Right. And you come on the mat, you're like, I can't believe I'm this bad at jujitsu after all this time. But those are the days that are the most important because anyone can do something when they, when they feel good at it, when it's easy. So the, the thing that like, the martial arts journey, like, yeah, we want to be wrecking balls. We want to be amazing. We want to be the best guy in the room. That's all. And that's not a bad thing. They're all good things. Um, but the time when it's most important is when we're, when we're not feeling amazing, when we're struggling a lot. And that's when we become, we become most in contact with our own character. The reason that we're on the mat is to expose those moments and then work on it. If every day was easy, then the stuff about us that needs improving, whether we're talking about jiu-jitsu techniques or character logical stuff, because um, some people who have struggled for a really long time on the mat and they've never been the, the, the good one, you know, the guy who's killing it when they actually encounter that sometimes they're actually not that awesome at being the best person on the mat. And then you get it the other way around. You get people who are just physical beasts and they're wrecking it. And then they finally run into the day where they're not winning it. Like you've got someone who's got their number and they really struggle with that. Um, you know, there's a whole bunch of different things that you can run into. And some of them are character logical. They're about us. And then some of them are about our jiu -jitsu. Um, And it's really important to, to run into those things. So the first thing I would say, Kim, is that if somebody's running into that, you should be grabbing hold of that. Be like, yes, because those moments they come more often uh, at the start because there's more things that you suck at, uh, and there's there's more about you that may not have been exposed through your normal life. And part of the reason we're on the mat is to find out about ourselves. Uh, so that's the first thing. But the second thing to actually get through it, to move through it, which is important because we need to be able to do that as well, uh, is a lot of the time we feel like we're hitting the wall just before we have a little bit of a, a, a leap in our game. And it's not one of these hippie dippy, like, you know, um, crystals sharker things. It's usually where we're having a really hard time because we're trying to introduce things into our game that are not natural to us yet. They're not ingrained. They're still clunky. So the timing's not quite there yet. So quite when we wrestle our worst, when we're actually trying to improve our jiu-jitsu. But then on the other side of that, so you just, you've got to break through that, again, that critical mass of building up the timing, the movement patterns. Um, and then when, when we hit that, oh, we pop out the other side and all of a sudden we feel like we're amazing again. And it is a peak, it's always, it's oscillating, right? It's up and down, it's up and down. What, the, what you want to be looking at though is, is that wave function, is that trending upwards? Mm. If it's trending upwards, you're sweet. If it's trending downwards, 
which to be honest is rare. It's almost impossible because even if you're not putting any of your brain power into your jiu-jitsu, you're going to get better because your body's going to get sick of falling over and being swept onto your head. It's going to get sick of being armbarred. And sooner or later, you're going to keep your arm in or keep your balance. Or, you know, so even without thinking about it, you're going to get better. But if you do think about it, you're going to get better much quicker. So what I'm thinking about as a coach, so we've got the, the characterological stuff that we want to develop. So the martial arts journey, but then we've got the, the sport side of things, for lack of a better phrase, where we want to get better at, at actually doing jiu-jitsu. Um, so what I'm looking at is how can I steepen up that, that curve? How can I make that wave function trend upwards more steeply? So what can I do for myself and for my students to make them better faster? Now, it's not about them not having the troughs. They need to have those. It's just about trying to steepen that whole process up as much as I can. And if you're okay with the fact that you're going to have bad days, straight away that makes things better. So there's days when I, when I come in and when, when some of the students come in and we're just struggling, we're just having a real hard day. And one of the things that you can do is change the, the, the goals or the framework that you're coming in with. So instead of going, man, today I'm just going to smash everybody, which to be honest is a shit goal anyway because it's very non-specific. If you've got really non-specific goals, you can't measure them. Did I do good today? Well, I beat everybody. Yeah, great. But if you're the best guy in the room that day, that doesn't mean much. So what you're better off doing is like, today I'm trying to work this particular sweep from this particular um, guard and I'm trying to figure out what happens if they're blocking that. That's a better goal to have. But if you're having a really, really shit time on the mat, my advice is work your defense. Give yourself permission to be on the bottom and give yourself permission to try going left instead of going right, even if going left is going to get your arm butt. Because straight away, you're changing the expectations around the session. And even if you get caught, you've got data. Because what, like really what we're doing with jiu-jitsu is it's just a never-ending process of trial and error. I'm just going to the lab. I'm doing experiments. I want my data. That's it. Yeah, in terms of getting better at the sport, the techniques, we just need data. So if I can give myself permission to go out there and, and get as much data as I can, all right, I know that going right works most of the time. I'm pretty sure that going left is going to get me caught, but I'm going to go left. Shit, it got me caught. But it got me caught and I noticed this particular thing. And it's, again, there's that cliche, right? Like there's, there's, uh, there's only winning or learning. Well, mm. I'd say if you're turning your brain on, there's, there's, there's always learning. Mm. There's, there's always learning. So yeah, if you change the... <laughs> Yeah, yeah. There's like we can win and learn, or we can lose and learn. Now, it's, I think in this tree, we tend to we tend to learn more from our losses, not because there's more lessons in it. We just notice them more. They hurt more. You pay attention more. A lot of time when you win, you're too busy beating yourself on the chest, going on the greatest to go. Hmm. Um, Dave, you get the odd Dave, people. Dave, I'm I'm so grateful. We're going to run out of recording time soon. You are just such a wealth of knowledge, brother. And I'm I, I'm going to call this. Dave Hart, part one. Would you please come back on the show shortly? Yeah, no sweat, um, man. And we can continue. Like, I've got a massive list of questions for you, and I just, I'm loving what you're putting down. It's so awesome. Would you, would you come back on, you know, in a month's time? Yeah, man. Like no that? problem at all. Yeah, I will say I that the, uh, the fruit doesn't fall far from the tree, man. So, like, John Will has been, been the, uh, the catalyst to, to me becoming a good student and a, and a good coach. Um, yep. Yeah, he's he's phenomenal in that. He's been a, a big part of of being able to understand how to how to learn and how to teach. Um, but yeah, man, uh, definitely, it's always fun.
It's always yeah. fun. People should go, I think go we definitely... as well and check out your interview with John Will last week, wasn't it? So that'd be great. Yeah, there's two parts up now and it's 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 insane. It's like you if you were watching a movie of his life, you'd be like, This this is not real. Um, yeah, he's had an insane life and he's a phenomenal martial artist and a phenomenal coach. Uh, but yeah, there's parts one and two of that up. You can check out the podcast. It's Eat Sleep Train. It's on iTunes, uh, Apple Podcasts. I think they're called now Google Podcasts, YouTube, all that sort of stuff. Um, and then, and there's uh, some other chats that we have around some of this sort of stuff as well. Awesome. Yeah, I think we definitely need to have him back on. Have you back on? Thanks, Dave, for joining. I think we need Thanks, to guys. extend uh, the length of this podcast too. Too short. Yeah. Thanks, yeah, and, guys. And Suki, Suki says uh, uh, hello and goodbye as well. Uh, <laughs> all right, take care, guys. guys. Have a good day. Bye. Bye.